you know, you never persuade somebody to do something by beating them over the head with a stick. That's not, that's not an effective way to unlock your people, right? That's not what we're talking about. So we're back to understanding why, why are people feeling the way they do? What do they believe? And it doesn't matter whether you agree. It doesn't matter whether you think they're out to lunch or you think they're a conspiracy theorist, as we're sometimes saying, or any of those kind of things. They believe what they believe for a good reason. So if you can understand the reason and explore the reasoning with them, then sometimes you can point out cases where that's not been the case or times in the past where they have done something differently. Welcome to the Unlocking Your People podcast. We believe that successful businesses run on people and relationships. The better your people perform, the better your business will perform. This show is dedicated to business owners and team builders that are looking to get the best out of their people and workforce. Each episode will be a strategy, a message, and even tips and tricks to help you create and cultivate a passionate workforce for your organization. Your host has spent her career helping companies and leaders handle the tough people stuff at work and helping people work better together so they can increase their impact and their results. CEO of E3 Consulting, Jess Chapman. Hello, everyone. It's always easier to take away nuggets of learning when we're talking about real life situations. So today for this episode, I'm joined again by the fabulous Renee Waldridge, who is an organizational effectiveness specialist. And Renee is working in a bigger organization and she and I are going to talk through some of the challenges that she's facing regarding things like change, resilience in the workplace, resistance to new ideas and new ways of doing things, and some of the ways that you can tackle some of those things if they're happening in your organization. So hopefully you'll get lots of insights from our change conversation today. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Welcome back to another episode of Unlocking Your People. I am joined again today by the fabulous Renee Woolridge. And as I mentioned in the last episode with Renee, uh, Renee is an organizational effectiveness specialist in a big company. And so um, she's been kind enough to join me to talk through some of the realities of people at work and how we actually practically uh, unlock the joys of people in the workplace and kind of make some of these things happen in practice. So welcome back, Renee. Thanks for having me back, Jess. So we're going to talk about change today. I mean, we're in a we're in a pandemic environment, so if nothing else, that's probably a change that you and your team are grappling with. Um, but with the pace of the changes in the world today, it's pretty likely that there's more things you're having to figure out in the world than just the pandemic. And so we thought change would be a, a big, a good big topic to tackle and have some conversation about. So that's what we're going to focus on today. We've talked a lot this year in our company about change and resilience and how do you keep resiliency up. Um, even just the change of working from home and then going back to the office. Um, our company's going through a lot of changes. The pandemic is happening. So we've talked a lot and, and it's almost now that we're into May. Um, there's a bit of a, um, some people are ready to move on and stop talking about everything. And some people are really still stuck in it. And I'm trying to figure out how to build the culture of where people still have empathy for each other because we're all in such different states and, and trying to understand what status everybody is in and have empathy for each other, knowing that we're all at different stages. It, it's, it's certainly the speed with which we respond to change and move through accepting change varies significantly right like different people will 
some changes for people are minor and some changes are like, well, I, you know, that's nothing to do with me and I'm just going to get on with it. And for other people, it's something that they get really stuck on. And I think the key word you said there was empathy. Right. So um, I've been reading a couple of really good articles. One was a a Harvard Business Review article the other week about the kind of the new age of leadership that we're in. And, you know, we went through a phase of leadership, which was about technical expertise. And then we've gone through a phase of leadership, which is about people's potential and coaching skills and that kind of stuff. And and there's some suggestion we're in a new phase of leadership, which is around your ability to be warm and empathetic. Um, and that those skills, not least of all for the pandemic, but for loads of other reasons, become really critical in your effectiveness as a leader. But empathy requires you to step outside of yourself. And so even for those folks, so the people that are in the, I just wish everyone would move on and get on with it, are still thinking about themselves because that's what they want, right? So it's that piece of, yes, totally get it, but the world, this person or my team or my organization needs me to do this right now. And this is what's going to be most helpful for them in the moment rather than what my preferences are or what I need to be. So it takes a fair amount of fortitude to put to one side, here's what I'd like and I'm going to do for somebody else what they need. But then that becomes reciprocal, right? So the conversation about empathy, I think, right now is a really important one. And I see the challenge of empathy in a lot of different places, you know, social media being the biggest one, right? When people lose lose their empathetic lens when they, you know, get to a place where they can't see the person. And so those connections, those personal connections made more challenging by remote working, but actually seeing somebody, we talked in the last episode about the importance and power of creating space for conversations. um, And that was related to performance, but it's equally true in the world of change, right? That the actual question of how are you doing becomes really important. And I sometimes wonder if the people that are in a place where they're like, I just wish everyone would get on with it, is partly because they don't have the skill to know how to move people along or how to handle the emotions that come out when we have these types of conversations so it's a bit of a I don't I don't want to have to handle or deal with this and therefore I'm going to kind of put it to one side and I'm sure that's not true in all cases but I do see some of that come along so you know I think I think empathy is really key um and helping people figure out how they become more empathetic or demonstrate more empathy I had a conversation with someone last week and they said, what happens if this is it? Like everyone's expecting a big change. The the vaccine will change. We'll be able to travel again once everybody gets a vaccine or um, a big decision will come within our company and that will change everything. But what happens if those decisions don't come and the vaccine doesn't change the way things are and, and life looks like this going forward? So how do you get people on board with this is now life? How do you move on? What, one of the things I most often see in organizations is a dramatic underestimation of the time and energy and focus required to move people. Um, and so I, I love that you're having those conversations. I'm hoping that they are go hand in hand with actually strategizing about how to do this rather than just a observation because it's a bang on observation as far as I'm concerned. Like people, I see it all the time. People are like, well, once everyone's vaccinated, everything will go back to normal. And it might, but it might not, right? So it's about, for me, it's about a couple of things. So one is 
people will latch on to things that make them feel more comfortable, right? So we are wired for threat and reward. The pandemic is a major threat. Um, depending on how you view the pandemic, your level of threat response goes up and down. Some people are, you know, put it in those just flu and therefore that diminishes the risks for them so their threat alarms don't go off. But a lot of what we're doing when we say those things is we're looking for the panacea because that takes the threat away. And often I think it's because it feels like such a big thing that it has to be a big thing that fixes it, right? So the pandemic is global. What could I possibly ever do? And therefore somebody magic in the world is going to magically come up with a solution that makes it all better. And I think that's pretty human. I, I got to admit there are times I do that too. Someone's just going to magically click their fingers and everything will be fine. Um, but, you know, a part of that is about control. It's about helping people understand what they can take control over, that they do have a degree of control. And there is a you know concept called locus of control about how much you believe you have control over your environment and things like that. So people with high locus of control believe they have a lot of opportunity to influence and impact things. People with a low locus of control feel like a lot of things are done to them. And so depending on who you are, you will likely see it that way. You know, people with high locus might be, that's fine, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to lobby on this and I'm going to, you know, book travel in this date and take my vaccine and do my stuff. Other people might feel like they don't have that ability. And so I think it can be helpful to help people see and focus on the things they do have control over and not focus on the things that they don't have so much control over. Um, Because what you focus on, you get more of, right? So if you're telling your brain, oh my, this is globally terrible and awful and look at all the awful things that are happening and I have no control over this and I have no control over that, your brain starts finding the things that are terrible and awful and seeing the things that you have no control over and that gets bigger, right? So helping people to focus on what is good that is happening and what's the positive stuff that you're seeing right now, which is why gratitude thinking works, right? It's not a fuzzy, non-scientific thing. We're actually teaching our brain to focus on the good stuff and therefore you spot more good stuff and therefore you feel better. So those types of principles do actually work and have some scientific basis to them. They're not just fluffy HRE things. Um, so the more that you can help people do that, I think the easier or the less the less challenged people are and, and the level of challenge they'll feel is going to be vary from person to person. But I think everybody benefits from focusing on things that they have within their sphere of control and sphere of influence. What other tips and tools do you have in your toolbox? So gratitude thinking, what other, like and focusing on the things that you can control. How do you get people to focus on that? How do they do that? Um, For me, that comes back to the wonderful world of coaching questions, right? So Tell never works, right? Which is um, and going counter to somebody's belief system is also challenging. So I'm I find the world right now of like those promoting the vaccine and those anti-vaccine quite interesting because everybody's like throwing stones at the other person's greenhouse. But you know, you never persuade somebody to do something by beating them over the head with a stick. That's not that's not an effective way to unlock your people, right? That's not what we're talking about. So we're back to understanding why why are people feeling the way they do? What do they believe? And it doesn't matter whether you agree. It doesn't matter whether you think they're out to lunch or you think they're a conspiracy theorist, as we're sometimes saying, or any of those kind of things. They believe what they believe for a good reason. So if you can understand the reason and explore the reasoning with them, then sometimes you can point out cases where 
that's not been the case or times in the past where they have done something differently. But you have to be a friend to do that, right? If you're going to challenge somebody's particularly deeply held notions and beliefs, you can't do that from a position of adversary. You have to do that from a position of friend. So you have to be someone showing the empathy that we talked about, being willing to recognize that people are different to you, sitting down with somebody creating space for the conversation. And then you have a chance of like helping them take a different lens on the situation that they're, they're facing. And it's not a one-off conversation. You can't assume that you can sit down with someone and go, oh, great, we spent 10 minutes talking about the pandemic and everything's solved, right? Like, it's going to back to intentional, right? So some of these things are intentional. So, you know, and I, I can hear somebody I know in my head right now going, oh, Jess, I just don't have the time for all of that. And, you know, there is a reality to that too, right? Like we're super busy. You're still trying to run a business and do everything else. Pick your battles. You don't have to necessarily sit down and create space in every conversation for every person. But who's really stuck and who's clearly really struggling or who's very different to you and what benefit would you get from sitting down with them and spending a concerted amount of time on how they're doing and what difference would it make to how they show up because if you don't tackle it, right, the people are a stitch in time theory, right? So stitch in time saves nine. If you don't tackle this stuff early, it's not going to go away. It's going to get worse. So, you know, spot the people that really need you to do those things and, ha- and have the conversation, but have the conversation from a place of understanding and asking, not, so I see you're struggling. How about you do this, right? That's really not probably going to do much for you that's helpful. It's funny because in your, in my head while you're talking, I'm going back and forth between work and teenagers because I have teenagers at home and one is really stuck. And so I, I try to do some of the same things with my teenagers. But yeah, the coming from a place of a friend is a very good point because it doesn't go well with my teenager, but it goes great at work. <laughs> well, I mean, if your parent put your parent hat on, they'll never listen to anything you say if they're a teenager. So, you know, and that's why people get, I always get the exasperated thing. So I can say it. And then if their friend says exactly the same thing, they go, they come back to the dinner table and they're like, oh, so-and-so said this today. And I'm thinking in my head, yeah, I said that to you two weeks ago, but I'm a parent. I'm not a friend, right? So there's a, you know, there's a, there's a definite lens there. Are you enjoying the show this far? We know the people stuff in your business can be tricky to nail down. Each scenario feels unique on its own. We go through so many resources and tools with the podcast. It's tough to keep up. We get it. So what if you had all the right tools and training to help your organization be successful every single day with your people and the culture you're building? Jess and her team have created a range of training programs that can help you with all the different challenges of unlocking your people. For the challenges of leadership, there are two core programs, Elevate for supervisors and Propel for more senior leaders. Both programs dig deeper into the concepts, frameworks, and skills that you've heard throughout this podcast series. From building trust and empathy, to having those tougher people conversations, to managing conflict, and so much more. To see which program makes more sense for you, please go to www.e3.ca training for the full breakdown. The best part? All the programs are fully virtual and modular, meaning you can do them anywhere, anytime, and fit them into your busy schedule. And if you're facing particular challenges in building your team, managing change, or managing performance, we have online toolkits that can solve your unique challenges today. Once again, www.e3.ca slash training. Now, back to the show. The other things I often talk about in this type of situation 
when we did some of the podcasts and things when we did last year when the pandemic hit is around scenario planning, which will help some people and not others, but is can be useful, right? So readying, getting people to think about possibilities, right? Because otherwise they hit them out of left field and it's often more challenging for them. So, you know, let's talk about what happens if this is it. And you might start in a small circle of people who you know can have that conversation and start talking about what that reality might mean, but have some plans and ideas to to be able to demonstrate the confidence to others if those things do happen. Um, And then there is just the general well-being side of things. I mean, something of this magnitude challenges everybody on a mental capacity basis, right? Like we are wired for threat and reward. You know, it would be true if we were talking about something in an organization like a merger or a large layoff period or something like that. That also has significant ramifications for people. But we're in a global pandemic. There's no way that people are not mentally affected by living in a threat environment all the time. There is a portion of your mental headspace that is pretty much, I think, constantly paying attention to what's going on. And also the more you embroil yourself in that, the more your brain will pay attention to it. So if you're always on social media reading about it, if you're always watching it, if you're reading the news, and unfortunately I do think today's news tends to be more sensationalist in nature, right? So it's not a factual reporting often. It's a kind of what's the emotional side of the story, which can make it worse you know, those things will up your concern level and therefore up your challenge with the situation. So helping people to pick sources of information that are valid, right? So if we part the pandemic for a, sec- for a second and think about something like a merger or an acquisition, the rumor mill is always the fastest moving channel of communication in an organization. Your job is not to try and get rid of it because you can't, but to help people know how to counter it. So back, it's a bit like the social media world of fact-checking right it's it's a bit of a shame we even have to do that in the world but we do right so is this is this actually real and so helping people identify when they're tuning into sources of information that aren't maybe not as valid you know if you think about organizational changes i'll often hear that people will come to team meetings and be like i heard this bob's sister's cousin's friend who works in wherever (laughs) told me that this is happening right and that never happens in newfoundland here no not at all so you know everybody knows everybody here so i have a friend who knows somebody who said that right um and as much as we all laugh at that we do it right we do do it because we're searching we're searching for information we're searching for certainty we're searching for something to give us comfort and so helping people have clear information, making sure that we talk to people regularly about what's going on. I mean, that's happening with the pandemic. It also needs to happen inside the the four walls of an organization and not stopping talking about it because you've got nothing to say, because that's when the rumor mill comes in and fills the gap even more. So no news is no news, but tell everybody you have no news. I told someone last week too that it's okay to read some fiction. So everybody's right. Like you need a break. Your brain needs a bit of a break. And so reading a fiction book every now and then is probably good to help build resilience and, and help clear your mind. Well, and we're doing a bunch of stuff right now. That's not good for us as humans, right? So we're not wired to be separate. We're not wired to do everything on screens. We're not wired for lack of social interaction. Like there's a bunch of things going on that will, depending on who you are, hit hit you hard or less hard, but still have an impact on everybody. And so that paying attention to your overall well-being and recognizing when you're not doing so well and taking control, you know, that's something you can take control of, right? Take the time out, turn the screens off, don't 
go on social media today or limit your social media interaction question what you read and make sure that you're paying attention to the stuff that's sensible and comes from a sensible place um you know get outside do your exercise all this all the stuff that we know we're supposed to do but becomes it feels like it's a sidebar distraction when you're going through something quite big but becomes a really important thing to do when you're going through something quite big and quite challenging and lots of times when we talk about resilience and these change things, it's more of a short, short-term thing. This has been going on for a couple of years. There's no end in sight. And so I think people are going, like, the long-term resilience piece is going to be more and more important. Yeah, it is. And a few years back, I did a presentation at the Board of Trade conference, and we talked about we talked about resilience. And, I mean, that was before even any of this appeared. Um and for me, that resilience is often tied to learning, right? It's tied to being able to take a different a perspective on something and being willing to challenge your own perspective and then learning new things and being open to new ideas and new concepts and new skills and learning new things. So, you know, helping to, to foster a learning culture, right? That curiosity as opposed to fear that comes from new, the willingness to consider that maybe your opinion or your view or your idea is not the only one or the right one. Doesn't mean you can't hold on to it fairly strongly and, you know, debate and discuss with other people, but the, the willingness to consider there's another way or another possibility, I think are course skills or attitudes that can make a difference to how people respond to change um and you know that's not to suggest that there isn't also a role for stability because you know you can't always control events you can't always control events you certainly can't always control events that happen externally but within an organization it's worth thinking about the makeup of your leadership team right so who are the people who are driving the organization and how change happy are they right so if your employee base prefers more stable traditional calm that's the what the environment they thrive in your leadership team can handle or likes a lot more variety and pace in what they do in a pandemic situation you're going to have to dial it back right you're not necessarily going to be able to keep pushing organizational change at the same pace when we're living in global change right so being able to recognize the layers of change and help your more pacey leaders slow down and do the empathy thing i think becomes really important yeah We've, even, we've often talked right now as well, but there's so much change going on and everybody has that document in their back pocket that they haven't finished yet or cleaning out their filing cabinet or that kind of stuff. And maybe those are the type of tasks that people should be focused on right now. Just every now and then do something a bit to tidy things up and wrap things up so that's not using so much brain power to do every day. Yeah, there's a um, trigger to thought for me. So there's a piece that we talk about um, a concept that I learned when I did the work with the Neuroleadership Institute around levels of work. So we often talk about time management in terms of if it's urgent or, you know, um, important, but we never really stop to think about how difficult the work is, right? And so the, the concept of levels is um, like level one work is super easy stuff. You don't, it's mindless stuff. You don't really have to think about it. And then level three is the really complicated things. When are your people doing level three stuff? And is it, you know, is there flexibility for them to do it in a time and a place that works best for them? Can they flex? You know, like I don't do level three work well in the morning, like not at all. 
mornings are best for me to sit down, figure out who I am, what I'm doing, have a cup of tea, clean out my papers, sort my life out. And then about 10.30, I kind of come to life and I can start doing things that are meaningful. So if you start having, you know, I have clients who start at eight and want, you know, big brain busting meetings at eight in the morning, you're probably not going to get the most productive. Yes, I'll show up and do the best I can always, but my rhythms don't work that way. So tricky in a big organization with lots of people because everybody's rhythms are different. But in this environment, can you help people to think about the complexity of the work that they're doing and plan things at times when they're going to have more mental energy to be able to do it and that it's okay to stop and clean out your filing cabinet and particularly if you're in a high performance type culture some of that stuff can often feel like you're shirking or you know I'm not doing work but actually you know being organized is important and if 25 minutes of throwing stuff out makes you feel more in control and in a clean and uncluttered environment and it helps you be calm totally worth doing. Exactly right. I think the pandemic has brought on several changes within the working environment. And I think flexibility and changing and, and more empathy type things, I think that's certainly becoming more obvious every day to day in our environments right now. It's hard, it's hard though, right? Like no one. And if you're in a company or an organization that's never had any kind of flexibility and there's lots of fear, like we're all threat wired. There's lots of fear. I've talked to CEOs who are like, how am I going to do that? I don't know what anyone's going to be doing. They could be sitting home and drinking coffee and like painting their nails, right? Or, you know, doing the hair or whatever. How do we, you know, how do I really know? And it's a fair question, but it's not a reason not to do it, right? So it's a fair question. It's a fair risk. So how do you mitigate the risk? And then how do you find ways to create that flexibility for people? And it's back to empathy, right? Like nobody else is you. Nobody else is going to do this the way you do it or handle it the way you handle it or feel the way you feel about it. And that's fine be okay with where they are, meet them where they are, create space for the conversation where they are and do your best to help them take get whatever they need to move forwards. But don't expect them to all move forwards at a marathon. Like this is a marathon, not a sprint, right? Like we need to be helping everybody run for five or six hours, not sprint for 20 minutes. So change management needs a lot of empathy is what you're telling me. Yeah. I, I actually just think the world of work today needs a lot of empathy. And I think that that might be tied to the rise in female leadership because it's a often a female characteristic, right? The consideration of people tends to be something very much built into the way a lot of female leaders work. But, you know, whether if we take the pandemic out of it for a second, even before all of this happened, we were in a place of fairly rapid and intensive global growth and change we're in a place of um you know technologies coming in and people being concerned about how technology was going to affect their jobs we're in a place where people are the sandwich generation and they have caring for elderly parents and for children at the same time you know we have challenges around general health and issues we have increasing issues of anxiety and depression in the workplace like you can take the pandemic out of it, we still have an increasing environment that requires us to slow down and think about people if we want to get the best out of people, which kind of sounds daft. You'd think that's sensible, but we're all running full tilt. So, you know, I do. I, I, empathy is probably the one question that keeps me up at night. How do we help the world actually grow more empathy um, and build empathy and not destroy empathy? Good. That was really helpful. Thanks, Jess. Mm. Yeah.
You're very welcome. I think, you know, obviously you and I spend a fair amount of time talking about the things that you're doing. And I know that you're doing things that do make a difference and that your organisation is very mindful about how to navigate some of the situations and things that you're in. And I think the conversations that you're having are great ones. So I hope that they continue and that you tie them with the strategies and the plans at the right speed to help everybody kind of get to where they're going. So. I'd like to think we're making change and that people are, are coming along with the changes. So I, I, I see, I see wins happening every day. So I think it's good. And that's really important, right? That win, that win bit too, because back to what you focus on, you get more of make a big deal out of the wins and even the small ones, if that's because it's quite often not everybody's corporate culture, right? It's more of a fix the problems and great that works, carry on. But now is the time to celebrate stuff, right? Now is the time to be appreciative and to have energy and to make the, the positive things shine a little brighter. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Thank you very much. Awesome conversation, awesome organization and a wonderful lady. So thank you very much for joining me. Um, right back at you. And thank you very much. <laughs> I'm sure we'll continue this conversation once we hang up. Um, if, uh, if you're listening in and any of this resonated with you and you're thinking about the wonderful world of change and resilience and people and why people resist change and how do we help people take different lenses on what they're doing, then please check out our website and have a look at some of the courses that we have on offer. Um, and have a look at uh, you know we have short courses that you can do on some of these topics and we have some longer toolkits that have more involved tools and techniques and tips to help you in these different situations so uh, you can check us out at e3.ca and uh, see what we have that might be helpful for you hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Unlocking Your People podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when leaders have the right strategies and frameworks to tackle the tough people stuff within their business and organizations. To learn more about how Jess and her team can potentially help your organization unlock the potential in its people, take a look at the options at www.e3.ca. The better your people perform, the better your business will perform. Once again, it's www.e3.ca. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.